Let me just start off with a brief introduction about what a market garden is, and then we'll go through, I'll tell you a little bit about the farm that we have as our family, um, and then we'll look at these five, what I classify as big mistakes to avoid when starting a market garden. So hopefully you're in the right class, hopefully you're nice and comfortable, you're well hydrated, and you got good sleep last night. So uh, let's get rolling. We're going to try to roll, but my slides aren't advancing. Hold on just a second. I'm not sure why it keeps reading. What do I need to do? Click on the mouse? Okay. It should work now. I don't know. So first of all, market garden. Sometimes people also refer to it as a micro farm. This is a definition from Wikipedia. I didn't write any of this part. I just pulled it straight from Wikipedia. I really don't call it a micro farm, but that's according to Wikipedia. That's what they say. Okay. So it's relatively a small scale production of fruits, vegetables, and flowers as cash crops. These are actually crops that you sell for money and you're frequently sold directly to consumers and restaurants. So many people who do like market garden more direct into the consumer or maybe to restaurants, not so much maybe to wholesale, but we can talk about that in just a little bit. Our next slide, the diversity of crops grown on a small area of land. So a market garden is where you grow a variety of crops, typically on a small area of land, typically anywhere from under one acre. Sometimes they're up to a few acres in size, but very rarely do you hear of market gardens that are much over five acres. Um, most of the market gardens I'm familiar with run probably between somewhere between a half an acre to a couple acres. Uh, sometimes people use greenhouses, that's becoming more and more common, or hoop houses or different types of structures to help protect their plants. And this actually distinguishes it from other types of farming. So, um, well, let's move to the next one. So unlike large industrial farms, which practice maybe something called monoculture, and you know, you can think of monoculture, you know, if you think of like big soybean farms or big corn farms or wheat farms, you know, where there's acres and acres and acres of the same crop. That's, a, that's more of an industrial farm. Maybe it could even be just a large, huge orchard of some sort, a walnut orchard or an apple orchard or something. But generally they're focusing on like one crop and they're doing it on a large scale. Not so much that way in um, micro or mar market gardens. This in market gardens, you're, you're focusing on many different crops, a variety are grown and there's more manual labor. So you're not using big combines and big tractors and things of this nature. You're using much more smaller tools, maybe a lot of hand tools. If you have a tractor, sometimes they're like really small tractors, maybe like what they call a walk behind tractor, um, those types of things. So a market garden is a business that provides a wide range of steady supply of fresh produce through the local growing season. So you're not typically just growing a, a particular vegetable or a particular fruit that you're growing for like two months and then you're done or three months and then you're done or you're harvesting it for a 30 day or 45 day period and then you're done. You're, you're layering in different variety of vegetables and produce, maybe some small fruit, those types of things like berries and things of that nature. But you're, you're trying to have your market so that it runs for several months. Uh, some market gardens actually run year round. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a minute. So um, the small output requires selling through such local 
fresh produce outlets. So a lot of people will sell through um, maybe an on-farm stand or a market, uh, farmer's market stand, something called community supported agriculture, which are called CSA subscriptions, where people buy a subscription to your farm for that particular growing season. Um, what's not on here is what we, what we do a lot on our farm, which is called an online market, where people actually order online the day before, and then we deliver their produce to them at certain pickup sites around our area. And um, they'll also sell to restaurants and independent produce stores. And we do a little bit of that as well. And uh, so there's a variety of ways to do that. But you're selling mostly to the end consumer, okay? And that why that makes such a big difference is kind of what, what we're talking about on this slide here. So you're not necessarily or rarely are you selling wholesale you're pretty much always selling direct to consumer, which means you're selling at retail, which you're selling for basically 100% of the, the product. So in other words, let's say you sell tomatoes for, I don't know, $4 a pound, but if you sold them out wholesale, you might only get $1.50 a pound. Well, the difference between that, right, would be three and a half dollars, and that's something you're trying to earn as a market gardener and not, you, you don't have a middleman, so to speak. And uh, this, is, this is where it becomes really interesting how this whole market garden concept works. So on a conventional farm, a you know, mechanized farm, an industrial farm, they may return to the acre, you know, a few hundred dollars per acre, maybe a few thousand dollars per acre if they're growing a high, a high value crop. But, you know, if you're looking at wheat or corn or soy, some of these, some of these large, huge crops, they're getting a few hundred dollars an acre depending on what their harvest is like. But in a market garden, um, depending on how efficient you are and a variety of different things, how long your season is and things of this nature, here on Wikipedia, they say you can earn from 10 to 15,000 per acre. But I know personally, there's people who are earning 50,000 to $100,000 per acre, even more. $150,000 per acre. Now that's gross, but you see the difference. Instead of just a few hundred dollars an acre, you're earning tens of thousands of dollars per acre if you can do it efficiently and try not to, try not to make too many mistakes along the way. Um, but that's how you make this viable and make it sustainable if you're wanting to do something as your main livelihood. Um, so Market Garden uh, in recent decades has become a uh, an alternative business and a lifestyle choice for individuals who wish to return to the land. That's a, that's a kind of a great message for people who maybe are here at Adventist Agriculture Association. We're thinking like, wow, how can I return to the land? How can I do something like this more effectively and efficiently and maybe even sustain myself and my family through this? Um, but, and the reason why is because it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a niche in a, in, a, in a smaller startup investment. So you're not having to go out and buy, you know, hundreds of acres or thousands of acres or at least hundreds of acres or thousands of acres. Many people get started on a market, in a market garden, maybe on less than an acre. I mean, maybe even a half an acre. Um, I'll show you a little bit about what we did here in just a minute along the way. But it's, it's a viable market, and um, especially with this whole idea about organic and local food and where your food's coming from, it seems to be, be becoming even more important to people, um, you know, that we live with in our, in our local communities. All right, so let me introduce you a little bit to our farm. I'm not going to spend too much time on that because that's not really kind of what we're here for, but I thought you might like to know at least a little bit about it. 
So our farm is called Better Together Farm, and we're actually located uh, basically halfway between the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas and Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So we're technically located in Oklahoma, uh, and a, just outside of a little town called Doherty, Oklahoma, that sits, uh, you can see the little, what, little, little red balloon there, is pretty much where Better Together Farm is located. Let me just share with you just a real brief um, history, okay? So this was actually our farm when it really wasn't our farm. It was really my son's farm, Alan. Um, this would have been back uh, 2009. So this is what we started with. We had three raised beds, uh, some very rudimentary uh, coverings to protect our plants and things of this nature, but this is, this is how we started. I think Alan would have been, oh my, he was somewhere around 14, 13 years old, somewhere like that when this all started. This was on a, a two acre piece of property that we had that was very bad property. It was full of rocks. We never bought this property with the intention of growing any food on it. This is actually in 2012, I believe. Um, this is when we expanded a little bit on our two acre area. And we first initially got our first, what we call hoop house. So that little structure there on the left with the, it doesn't have plastic on it yet, but we're just putting that up. Uh, so these were our first official kind of protective structures to be able to grow our plants in. And then this picture here is a couple of years old, but this is where our farm is basically today. Um, we have a fenced in area that's about three and a half acres total, but we're growing on just a little less than an acre of that property. Um, so that kind of gives you a little glimpse of kind of where, where our farm's at right now. Okay, so I'd like to know a little bit about who's here today. Uh, who like who's sitting there in the chair watching me at this point in time? I'd love to know just a little bit. Alan, are you still with us there somewhere? I'd like to just find out who is here today at this presentation. Who's basically they're just curious about a market garden. Uh, they've heard about a market garden. They're just kind of curious to learn more about it. Is there anybody there today who is in that situation? If you are, would you raise your hand? Okay, so. I don't know how many people I can see raising their hand, but uh, I see at least one person. All right, uh, number two, who's here who is more than just curious, they're actually seriously thinking about this, or they've already started planning on starting a market garden. If that's you, would you raise your hand, please? Okay, great. Number three, a person who's actually started a market garden in some way, form, or fashion, uh, you are actually doing it in a part-time fashion. You, you actually grow produce and you sell it for, for cash. Is anybody here, it, just a part-time, it's not your main livelihood. You do something else on a permanent, more of a permanent basis off the farm for sustainability. But is anybody there who actually is doing it on a part-time basis? Could you raise your hand? Okay, I think I see a couple of people there in the back. And then who uh, is with us today who does this on a, a full-time basis? The market gardening is their kind of full-time occupation and they're actually, they're either making a living from it or they're getting close to making uh, their livelihood from it. Anybody in the room like that? If you could, would you raise your hand? Okay, I think I saw a couple of people raise their hand. Just one person, okay, very good. 
So most of us who are here today are more in the learning or curiosity, and that's great because this is about starting a market garden. Um, let's move on. So let's do this. I'd love to have you take uh, about uh, two minutes. I would love for you to find somebody in the room that you don't know, you haven't met yet. And I'd like you to go up and tell them one thing that you either enjoy about market gardening, if you do it already, or one thing that you would imagine you would enjoy when you actually start to do it. Okay, so that's a question. What is one thing you would enjoy about market gardening? If you already do it, you know what that is. Or if you're not doing it quite yet, what would be one thing you would imagine you would enjoy? What people think they would enjoy or what they are enjoying about it. So let's move into this really great quote. Um, probably you've maybe read this yourself. Maybe you read it often. This is something that was encouraging to our family to actually even consider going to doing something like a market garden. But this is taken from the book Ministry of Healing and uh, page 183. And here it goes. In God's plan for Israel, every family had a home on the land with sufficient ground for tilling. Thus were provided both the means and the incentive for a useful, industrious, and self-supporting life. And this is really amazing, the next sentence, in my opinion. And no devising of men has ever improved upon that plan. And to the world's departure from it is owing to a large degree the poverty and the wretchedness that exist. Pretty powerful words. And it's something that I think can hopefully give us encouragement and give us a... Um, thought and contemplation and prayerful consideration about what are we going to do about a quote like this? And how do our lives fit into this? Um, anyway, it, there's another whole talk I'd love to give about this, but I mean, we don't, we don't have time. Okay, so here we go. Five mistakes to avoid when starting a market garden. Um, now, I can't tell you that these are the five biggest mistakes, but they are five big mistakes. You may run into people who've had a big mistake that is outside of one of these five, but this is something I would like for us to at least consider today. And if you're in the process of thinking about starting a market garden, I think it can help a lot and help you avoid these. So here's a little character that maybe some of you are familiar with. He's a little cartoon character called Winnie the Pooh. And if you've ever watched Winnie the Pooh, you know he has this little line in not every episode, but occasionally you'll see him take his little paw and he'll hit his forehead like this. And he says three words. And the three words are think, think, think. So the way I presented these five biggest mistakes today is about, about what we think. Because what we think about different aspects about market gardening are going to make a huge impact on whether we're going to be, I think, succeed at market gardening. So here's mistake number five. Now, before I get into these, I want to let you know that I didn't put these in, I put these in a particular order that I felt like were maybe most important. But with that being said, I think you could switch these around pretty easy. So this is one of the mistakes regarding, and I don't know if it's a mistake, but it's something that you want to consider. All these things are what things you want to consider as you're moving into this idea of market gardening. So thinking you can leave the farm whenever you want. So 
There's a reason why I'm sitting here in Oklahoma and I'm not in California where you are. My son's there, my daughter-in-law's with you, my wife is there, but I'm here. And uh, one of the biggest reasons I'm here is because of our farm, our market garden. I mean, when you start a market garden, it's like, in a way, it's like having a baby. You know, when you bring a baby into the world, it's exciting. There's a lot of challenges, but there's a lot of excitement and unknown about the future and how that's all going to work out. But one thing that's very important when you have a baby is you need to have somebody there to help take care of the baby. Now, I don't want to oversell the whole concept of a market garden and a baby, but the point I'm trying to illustrate here is it takes time and care and attention when you're doing market gardening. Um, it's not, it needs daily care and it needs daily attention. Now, some of that attention every day may be very minimal. It may be very minimal, but there's a difference between being there and having that ability to take care of something that needs to be taken care of, as opposed to being, you know, two time zones away where you just don't have that access. And remember, when you're starting something, well, we'll talk about that here in just a second. And keep in mind, it's not a nine to five job. It's not something you drive away from, you drive away from home, you go, you clock in, then you leave and you come home after you're done with it. You really don't think about your job much after that. This is, this is, this, this really encompasses a lot of things. And you gotta be thinking about things like if you wanna go on vacation or if you wanna go have weekends away. You know, if you have bad weather moving in, which is one of the reasons why I'm here, we have some pretty cold weather coming this way and we need to cover some of our plants and this type of thing, or we just lose them all. And um, that's just not really a viable option. So um, that's one thing, that's big mistake number five is thinking you can leave whenever you want to, when in reality, you need to be there to help care for and nurture your market garden. Okay, here's big mistake number four thinking you should grow bigger too soon. I, I had a hard time knowing where to exactly put this one because I think this is a very important one. And it's something that we have, we have tried to be really um, think through about even on our own farm, uh, but it's challenging. It is very challenging. Now, this next slide is probably a little overwhelming uh, and I don't even know if you can see all this, but I'm going to read through these because these are what is called the basics. This is the basics. Now, you don't have to do all these exactly perfect. Nobody does them perfect, but, but you've got to be able to be thinking about how you're going to get your mind around this. Okay, so number one, you need to know the quality and the location of your water source for irrigation if you're going to do a market garden. You need to know how to design and lay out your farm for best efficiency. You need to know how to feed and nourish your soil. You need to know how to constantly grow good starts when you're starting your, your plants from seedlings, having a good set, good start. You need to know how to handle pest and animal pressure on your plants. I mean, just for instance, last year, we had a beautiful strawberry crop, very beautiful strawberry crop. Um, we even bought a little electric fence to put around it because we were having problems with raccoons getting in and getting the strawberries before we could get them ourselves. Um, lo and behold, the raccoons figured out a way how to get through the electric fence. We were still trapping them inside the electric fence. We'd catch them, we'd take them a couple miles, we'd release them somewhere down the road every day. We're doing that every day and they're still getting to our strawberries. 
We have another plan in mind about how to ha- help prevent that. But, you know, you can put a lot of time and energy into a certain plant or a certain crop, and it can just get wiped out by an animal. Just that fast. Uh, you need to know how to implement a good weed control plan. You need to know the right plants to grow at the right time. You need to know how to succession plant for multiple plantings each year. So you're planting lettuce. You know, you may start planting lettuce in February. Then you plant it again in April. Then you plant it again maybe in June. You start again in October. You need to have it rotating through because you'd like to have maybe certain crops for multiple months at a time. If you just plant at one time and that crop comes to maturity and it's done, well, then you're done. But you, you need to know how to succession plant. You need to know how to protect your plants from severe weather. That's an issue here in Oklahoma. I mean, just just on December 17, just last month, in the month of December, we had a hailstorm here. Fortunately, our plants were covered and nothing was damaged, but you got to plan on weird weather happening, unknown times to know how you know keep those protected. You need to know how to plan to harvest, process, and store your produce. You need to know how to market and sell your produce. You need to know how to plan to track your income and expenses. You need to know how to determine if it's worth growing a certain produce at all. A couple of years ago, we had this great idea. Hey, you know what we could do? We could grow rutabaga. Rutabaga is a great storage crop, and we can store it for several months and just sell it out. Problem is, nobody in our area likes rutabaga. So, (laughs) I mean, it's just, you know, you have these good ideas and these good intentions, but it may not be a particular crop that anybody really wants in your area. You need to know what tools you will need and how to use them. You need to know how much infrastructure you need to build. And there's a lot more. But these are kind of the basics. Now, I don't want to get you the wrong impression. You don't need to know all this stuff to get started. But you want to know all these things before you grow bigger. We'll talk about that here in just a second. I don't know. So think of what this guy here is doing. He's a juggler, right? He's got many balls in the air at one time. Think about those are all the basic aspects of running a market garden. And, you know, you need to learn how to be able to do what he's doing here efficiently and effectively to be able to make it sustainable and to work. Now, this is a good example of like what not to do. You see the picture on the left there? This is one of our beds. We had some broccolini in this bed. We harvested some broccoli, it did so-so that year, but we didn't get it out and get it covered. And look at this bed on the left, tons of weeds. The weeds just got crazy. You can't let something like this happen when you're trying to um, scale up. But what happens is that you overextend yourself and you don't have a really good plan on how to, how to get these things turned if you're trying to grow on too much land. I mean, look at the, the crop on the right. These are some green beans, and there's, I think there's some lettuce underneath that other hoop. This is how you want to try to be maintaining your beds and cultivate and all these types of things. You've got to be able to think about how you're going to stay on top of this to be able to make it work efficiently and sustainably. Um, so you want to learn on a small scale. So learn on a small scale. Remember that first garden we had back, I showed you back in 2009 when Alan just started these little beds? That was just a small scale. If you don't know anything about growing produce, you don't want to start any bigger than what you saw on that very first slide. You just don't want to do it because it's going to frustrate you and it's going to discourage you more than likely. And it's probably going to, you're, you're probably going to want to give up because it's just going to be too many, there's too many balls in the air. 
And the other thing, keep this in mind, you can increase your revenue on the same amount of land. So last year, we grew on about three quarters of an acre. This year, we grew on the same amount of land, exactly the same amount, and we increased our revenue 25%. We didn't add more beds. We didn't add more rows of produce. We just basically grew on the exact same amount of land, but we increased our revenue by 25%. And we have a really good feeling that this coming year, this coming season, we're going to increase it another 25% without expanding the amount of space that we grow on. And the reason why we're doing able to do this is because of this motto. Keep this motto in your mind. I'll tell you what, this is one of the best mottos you're going to have when it comes to a market garden. Growing better is much more important than growing bigger. Once you learn how to grow better, you will know when the right time is to grow bigger. But don't go out and plant a bunch of zucchini plants or something that you don't know what you're going to do with and how you're going to care for them and how you're going to sell them, all that kind of stuff. It's just going to cause you to do more work. You're going to spend more energy and it's not going to really help you sustain yourself on your farm. Big, big mistake. A lot of people do. We've done it ourselves. A lot of times you learn from your own mistakes. It's probably one of the best ways to learn, but I think we can help you a little bit. If you just don't think about growing bigger, grow better first, learn how to grow better first. Okay. Here's our family. Um, I'm showing you this picture because the older couple there on the left, that's my, my wife's parents. My father-in-law uh, turned 85 years old this year. They live on the farm with us, and he actually helps us on the farm. He packs most of all the produce that we sell, at least 80% of it. He'll come down, he'll help weed beds, he'll help wash containers, he'll do all different types of things. Now, he's not working full time. He maybe comes down two to three days a week, works for just a few hours a day, but he loves it. And we love him being there. Uh, then there's my daughter behind there. There's Alan. You maybe see him around the conference. Alan's new wife. He just got married a few months ago. Skyler's her name. My wife, Vivian, and myself. So the reason why I'm showing this picture is for our next mistake. Thinking you can go it alone. Not having family buy-in and support. It's very important for you to get an idea of the pulse and the temperature of your family on wanting to do a market garden. Is a market garden your idea and nobody else in the family is interested in it? I would, I would encourage you to go very, very slow. One of the things here, the first bullet point that you see says multiple generation startup. This lady named Chelsea Simpson, she was the director of communication for the National Young Farmers Coalition. That's what NYFC stands for, National Young Farmers Coalition. She said, the number one factor that will determine whether a market garden will work for a young person, like somebody who's a teenager, early 20s, those types of things, the number one factor on that success of that farm is multiple generation help. Multiple generations need to help. The parents need to help. The grandparents need to help. Now, it may not be that they're always out in the farm or in the garden, you know, weeding or cultivating or harvesting, but they might need some financial help. They might need support to be able to locate the land. They might, you know, those types of things. It needs to be multi-generational. And that's really how agriculture used to be for many, 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 many centuries before us. We have gotten away from that because what happens is we get educated. We all go our separate ways. And then somebody has an idea, oh, maybe I'd like to do a market garden. Here's this 20-year-old, you know, young person, and they're trying to do this all by themselves. More than likely, it's not going to work. 
it's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult. So be careful not to move faster than your family is ready. If you can get multiple generation support, it's going to make a big difference because there's a lot to learn. Okay. All right. Big mistake. Number two. Um, you know, let me back up on the last mistake just real quick. One thing that could be a big game changer. I don't know how many of you have actually come from an agrarian background. In other words, are your parents in agriculture? Are your grandparents in agriculture? Have you had agriculture in your blood, so to speak, for, for many generations and you're the next one in that generation and you've been farming a certain way and now you're thinking about wanting to farm in the market garden? If that's the case, you know, you're going to be at a much further down the road as far as your learning curve is going to be much smaller and much shorter. But the thing is, is that that's not where most of us come from. But most of us, we've been educated out of agriculture. We don't know the first thing to do. I mean, literally, I mean, you just don't know what to do. And you, you kind of learn and you try to grasp things and all this kind of stuff, but it's, it's kind of tricky. It's kind of tricky. So let's talk about this now. Thinking it only takes a couple of years to be sustainable. Now, the reason why I put this slide up here is we actually, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, we applied for a grant um, to help uh, fund uh, a new greenhouse structure on our property. We, didn't, we ended up not getting the grant. We've applied again. Maybe it'll be different results this year. But one of the questions they have on the grant is, how long have you been farming? And um, the... <laughs> They had a multiple choice box that you could choose on, um, you know, how long you've been farming. So the, the first box was, a they had it as a beginner farmer and they had it from zero to 10 years. Their, their time frame and on this questionnaire was from zero to 10 years, you're a beginner. And then you go up from there. After 10 years, you probably start kind of have an idea of really what you're doing. Now that, that's not, I'm thinking in my mind, 10 years, really, are you serious? 10 years, that just does, I mean, maybe two years, maybe three years, okay, maybe five years, but 10 years? So in our own personal journey through this, I've kind of thought, you know, that kind of really fits. Um, if you have no agrarian background and nobody, your parents aren't bringing to the table a lot of this information, and a lot of this knowledge, you need to think about how this is gonna play out. So. You're going to be a beginner, beginner farmer for probably the first three years. Um, you might be an intermediate beginner from four to seven years and an advanced beginner from eight to 10 years. And we have just crossed over the 10 year mark. I don't feel like we're beginners anymore, but I still feel like there's a lot for us to know and learn and hone and sharpen our skills. But um, it's going to take you some time. Now, we're going to talk a little bit here. It's, remember, think about this guy, the picture of the juggler right? How long do you think it, he, it took him to learn how to juggle whatever this is, nine balls? I, I don't know. I, I have a friend who's a really, really good juggler, and he's been juggling for probably 15, 20 years, and I think he can only juggle seven balls. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But the thought is, is that it takes time. It takes energy. It takes practice. It takes repetition. And there's, yeah, there's ways you can shorten that. Let's talk about that just for a second. So to short, shorten your learning curve, the best thing you could do, bar none, above all the rest is the first bullet point. You go intern your work on a market garden for a full season, for a full season. And ideally, you do it for two to three seasons. 
And I asked this, I actually said in your growing zone. So if you know where you're wanting to have your market garden or where you're going to be setting up shop, so to speak, you want to try to find farms at least in that growing zone. It doesn't have to be somebody in your next, you know, in the town next to you. Maybe it's they're 100 or 200 miles away, but they're growing in the same type of climate, the same kind of issues will be, you'll, they'll be dealing with that you'll be dealing with. Um, you know, we have, we have, we have read different books. We've watched different things online. Those are all good too. You'll see these down in the bullet points. But the thing is, is that many times you're learning from people who are growing in a climate that's very different than yours. So there, for instance, there's this one gentleman who's kind of like the grandfather of market gardening. His name is Elliot Coleman. He has some wonderful books. I would encourage you to get those books if you don't have them yet. They'll probably have them in the, in the book area over at the at Agribooth. Good books, great books, a lot of good information. But there's things in that book he never talks about that we have to deal with in Oklahoma that he doesn't deal with in Maine. And you know what? There's things he deals with in Maine that we don't deal with in Oklahoma. It would be much better for us to learn or have a book written by somebody who maybe grows in North Texas or maybe in Western Arkansas or Southern Kansas or something of this nature. These are people who are dealing with the same type of issues that we deal with here. So ideally, I'm not saying it has to be this way, but ideally, the more you can learn from people who are growing in your area. In fact, Alan and I and our family were visiting a farm up in Washington State, in Bellingham, Washington. I mean, it's almost in Canada. It's on the west coast, the northern west coast of Washington. We went up there. It's called Joe's Garden. Beautiful farm. Uh, they've been, the farm's been there years. I mean, decades. And the guy was there. <clears throat> and he had just beautiful. And I asked him, his name was Jason. I said, Jason, I go, what's what would be like one of the best things you'd tell us as far as advice goes? And he said this, and boy, it really resonated with me. He goes, you know, learning from somebody who's doing it in your area. That's probably the best thing I could tell you to do. Because Jason doesn't deal with things like we deal with in Oklahoma. And we don't deal with stuff like he has to deal with in, in Northwest Washington. Basically, he has a perfect setting <laughs> for growing. And I mean, you know, a lot of different things. He doesn't deal with hail. He doesn't deal with tornadoes. He doesn't deal with winds 60, 70 miles an hour, generally. I mean, there may be exceptions to that. But, you know, his, temp his temperature fluctuation up there may be 10 degrees a day. We have 40, 50. The other day, we had a 56-degree temperature change from our morning low to our afternoon high. You know, that, that does things to plants that when you're just going from 35 to 45 degrees, 35 to 45 degrees every day, or... 60 to 75 degrees. It just doesn't make that big of, I mean, there's environments that certain plants will do really well in certain areas that may have a struggle in other areas. And uh, it's just, you, you got to know this. So think about, you know, there's, a, there's programs you can get online. There's things you can watch on YouTube, amazing YouTube. But, you know, keep in mind, learning to play the piano by watching somebody play the piano as opposed to playing it yourself it's a very different experience. So you're just gonna need that practice, but you wanna immerse yourself in all these different things. And it can, I believe, shorten your learning curve. Okay, big mistake number one, thinking you don't need a good therapist. Now, I, I don't want this to come across the wrong way, okay? But let me ask the question. You see our little friend, Winnie the Pooh? You see that arrow between his two ears? The most important thing or the biggest issue you're going to deal with when it comes to market gardening is the space between your two ears, right there, that brain up there, right? 
that's where all these things are going to be churning in your mind because there's a lot of decisions to make. And the first thing I want to ask you is I want you to take a nice look at this picture here. Now, you might not recognize this crop because this is not at all what this crop is supposed to look like. This is romaine lettuce. Uh, that we, I took this picture about two weeks ago on our farm. So we had somewhere in the neighborhood about 600 heads and they all pretty much looked like this because it got super cold. We thought we had infrastructure to help protect it. We had little hoops, we had blankets we put over, we double blanketed them. We thought, we thought they'd pull through. Well, we thought wrong. So my question is, is how do you feel when you make a mistake? Because I'll, I guarantee you, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes when you get into market gardening. You're gonna think things will work a certain way and they just don't work that way. And, but you learn from those mistakes. But you know, what are you telling yourself when you're going through these mistakes? And it's very important to recognize that, you know, you need to ask yourself, how committed are you to this marketing gardening concept? What are you willing to give up to do this? Now you notice I put give up in quotes. I don't think you're giving up anything. I think you're personally gaining a lot. Remember the quote we read from Ellen White in Ministry of Healing earlier? We need to keep in mind some of the big reasons of why we're doing this. We're not doing this just to make a livelihood. We're, we're doing this to make a living, a living, a, a lifestyle that has so many other dynamics to it that are beneficial, that are far beyond just dollars and cents. And ultimately, where do you turn for mental guidance? Because there'll be times, I trust, just trust me on this, there'll be times when you walk in sometimes and you go, I'm not sure if this is a good idea. I don't know if what we're doing here is going to work because stuff will happen. There's, there's just mistakes that we make that we might not even think are our mistakes. Sometimes they might not be. But what we find is most of the time the mistakes that happen on the farm are our mistakes. We just don't know. We don't know the information. We just don't know what to do yet in order, in order to uh, make it not have so many mistakes. So um, I, love, I love this aspect here. And I know it's a theme song at the conference. I'm sure it is. It has been for the last several years when we've had it. But think about the words of this song. You know, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the, you could say kale if you want to, or you can maybe say lettuce or tomatoes. In this case, it says roses. Maybe if you're a flower farmer, that works for you. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. I'll tell you, there's times where you go out to your garden and things aren't working the way you would hope they work. And you need to know where you're going to turn. Yes, you're going to need practical answers, but those practical answers are going to come with practice and repetition. But most importantly, you're going to need to have that space between your ears. It's going to need to have, um, you're going to need to think about how you're talking to yourself through a lot of this. How do you have a conversation with other people in your family who aren't feeling so well about how certain things are going? It's going to help develop character in a way that probably most of us haven't dealt with before. Um, but quite, quite honestly, it's one of the beautiful things about market farming, market gardening. So here's our five big mistakes to avoid. Thinking you can leave the farm whenever you want. Thinking you should grow bigger too soon. Thinking you can do it alone. Thinking it only takes a couple of years to be sustainable. 
and thinking you don't need a good therapist. I mean, God is a wonderful therapist. That's what we. That's what He's there to help us with. And I'll tell you, you'll be tapping into His His counsel, His advice, His patience, His mercy. All these things you'll be tapping into if you choose to move down into a more significant way into a, a, in market gardening. Now, I wanted to just share with you a quote before we finish, and then I hopefully will ha we'll have time for a few questions. Think about this quote for a second. Child Guidance, page 356. Let's read it here together. Farming has been pronounced unprofitable. Now remember, this. I don't know exactly what year this was written, but we know it's well over 100 years ago, probably 120 years ago, something like that. If people thought farming was unprofitable 120 years ago, think about how many more people think it's unprofitable today because hardly anybody's going into farming. Yeah, there's a little surge of people getting involved in market gardens and things of this nature. But the truth is, most of us are educated out of doing stuff like this. But keep, keep on with the quote here. Farming has been pronounced unprofitable. People say that the soil does not pay for the labor expended upon it. And they bemoan the hard fate of those who till the soil. But should persons of proper ability, the, um, the bold, I added the bold, the persons of proper ability take hold of this line of employment and make study of the soil and learn how to plant, to cultivate, and to gather in the harvest, more encouraging results might be seen. Let them learn to put in the seed in its season, right? Knowing when to plant, what you should plant at the right time. To give attention to the vegetation, all those basics that we talked about, right? Those are, that's what she's talking about here and to follow the plan that God has devised, right? I mean, there's, there's stuff we need to learn. I mean, I think about my great-grandparents. You know what my great-grandparents did? They were farmers. But in there, it, didn't, it didn't boil down, it didn't kind of trickle down to my generation. In fact, my parents, neither one of them were really involved in agriculture. Um, you know, we were, we were asked to move in a different direction. Uh, culture leads us in a different path. This is a great time to be a market gardener. Yes, is it going to be challenging? Yeah, it'll be challenging. Is there a lot to learn? Yeah, there's a lot to learn. But you know, if we go into it with the right attitude and the right mindset, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to get engaged in something that not only can be beneficial to our lives and our families' lives, but to many people's lives in our immediate circle of life. And I hope it's something that you consider, you would consider. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. Now, I want you to think about success. This is a slide, I didn't create this, I found this online or something like that, but I just thought, wow, how, how appropriate for a market garden. So a lot of people wanna get into market garden. They get into this idea of, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to grow a lot of your own produce and eat out of your, off your own land wouldn't this be good for our family? And, you know, all those things are all true. Those are all true things. <clears throat> but success isn't going to be like a straight line. What you just think it's going to be. We'll start here, and then just in a few years, we're going to be here. Know what success really looks like, and it's not just with market gardening, but I think especially for market gardening, is there's that messy middle. You start, and then the middle gets all messy. And look at all the different lines and twirls and circles it's making before they come out a bit on the other side. I hope by just sharing these five <clears throat> big mistakes to avoid, I think it can shorten and condense and maybe sh uh, those, all those little squiggly lines between 
you know, starting and getting to where, you know, it would be good for you to be, to make it, make it, to be sustainable. And uh, so that's my prayer today. I hope that, be, that there's something you can glean from this information that uh, you haven't really considered, you haven't thought about before. And I am more than happy to take some questions. It looks like we have about 11 minutes or so. Um, I don't know, I, I don't think I can hear you. So if Alan wants to call me back on the phone, I'm happy to take questions over the phone. Um, we can chat for a little bit. Fair enough? Mm. Wow, that's a great question. What do we do with the wind and the hoop houses? Um, well, we try to reinforce our hoop houses. Um, that's a big part of it. There was a farm just about maybe six or seven miles from where our farm was that their hoop house just became a tangled mess. Um, we went up and tried to help them get it rearranged and kind of got it functional for them again. But the truth be told is we had some wind, wind damage to some of our hoop houses this past season. So um, it's some things you can, you can, what we try to do is we try to get to our houses where they can, they can handle about a 70 mile an hour wind. Now, for some of you people in different parts of the country, you might not know what a 70 mile an hour wind looks like. <laughs> But when we have thunderstorms that move through our part of the country, and Anna is probably very familiar with this, there can be some cells that come through that are pretty powerful. Most of the time they're not, but sometimes they are. And so you, you just need to be able to have the reinforced structure. I would encourage you to also maybe talk to Alan a little more after the class, and maybe he can give you some, some ideas about that. But we try to do some reinforced structure on ours. Now, we try to help them keep a lower profile if possible. I don't know what kind of greenhouses you have, but you know, having a little um, stronger steel in the house can help. Um, but we had a really fluky storm. Um, I forgot what month it was this last year. I think it was April, maybe somewhere in there. It wasn't even supposed to be bad weather. Okay, we have a, anyway, needless to say, sometimes it pops up out of nowhere and boom, it hits you. So we had to replace about, um, I don't know, Alan, what would you say? 70% of our growing houses this year. We've never had to deal with that in the last nine years we've ever done it. So that, this was, um, uh, didn't, it, didn't, it did not hurt the plastic on our houses at all, but it just bent our bows into a way that they weren't usable. So that's a great question. You just need to make sure you try to get as strong as you can, but truth be told, if it's a if it's a big enough storm, probably nothing's going to hold up. Wish I had better news. Looks like there's a question in the back. A gentleman with his hand up near the window. Sure. The question is is where where is a good place to get a greenhouse? And I guess the answer would be depends on what type of greenhouse you want. I, I know that's probably a cop out, but there's depending on what type of greenhouse you're, what you're using the greenhouse for would probably be you need to ask yourself that question and then you, then you could have a different idea of, of what, what you're looking for. You know, greenhouse, it means different things to different people, right? Sometimes greenhouses are really these superstructures that are climate controlled. They have heaters in them. They have fans in them. What we use, most of what we use personally on our farm are little what we call hoop houses. And they're only about, you know, nine feet high in the top and they cover four beds. We have them hundred feet long. We, we personally, uh, Alan, the guy who's holding the phone right next to you, he actually 
he, he actually makes our houses. We go and buy the steel. He created a bender. We bend them. Um, but I know there's other places. If you're looking for a house like that, there are other places that uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's an Adventist fella in Tennessee named Jonathan Dysinger. He may even be at the conference. I don't know. But I know some of the Dysingers are there. Uh, if you're looking for a house like that, that's pre-made, that could be shipped right to you, that you just erect it, he's probably the best place to get them from. I mean, I see people online, many people around the country have his houses uh, that, are, that are market gardeners. So anyway, make, look him up if he's there at the conference. Mm. So we're, we actually, this last year, we officially became organic certified on our farm. This is the first year we were we, we were using organic practices and methods before, but uh, we officially got the certification this year. Um, oh yeah, the question is, the question is regarding should, should you become organically certified or can you use more conventional? You know, I, honestly, um, you, you need to decide. I mean, there's things about conventional growing that I think are very appropriate and can be very clean growing um, that, um, you know, it's kind of a tricky question. I think you got to ask yourself what, where personally you're at on it. Um, I mean, obviously I don't think any of us want to be going down the path where we're using a lot of herbicides and pesticides, a lot of chemical based stuff that's just there to try to eke out a plant. I mean, there's ways you can do conventional that are somewhat like organic okay but you may utilize some different types of elements um, that aren't quote organically certified um, I'm not I, I'm sorry I'm not really sure how to answer that question best for you it's it's kind of a personal thing you need to figure out um, sure sure take a step yep we yeah so when you're starting out a market garden what do you do in regards to marketing where is the best place for you to start and a lot of it depends on where you're at and what resources you have available so in our area market garden i mean market gardens pardon me <laughs> farmers markets basically don't exist they just don't exist it's not a good avenue for us um, if we wanted to travel you know an hour and a half to get to a market i mean a farmer's market we could do that but honestly we don't want to do that so we, we started off selling to friends uh, we had a small, in fact, when we got started, Al and I sat down, we made one little, tiny little, one single page brochure that was like a four and a half by eight and a half sheet of paper, front and back, that said Alan's Garden, because it was Alan's Garden at that time. And we listed a few things on there, um, and we handed them out to people that we knew. And people just started, you know, buying it. But, you know, here's the thing. It was a little hobby for Alan. <clears throat> yeah. But see, that's not, that's, not, that's not sustainable, but it's a great way to start. I mean, you know, the wash house that we had to wash the veggies and stuff was in a back sink that we had in our laundry area. I mean, you, you just make do with what you, what you have. And that's a good way to start. You don't want to get all this infrastructure in and you don't know what you're doing. You, you want to kind of be able to start off. You want to, hey, can I, can I take seeds and put them in these little blocks and get them to grow? And then... Do I have a good stand of, of first crops and then getting out to the, you know, just step by step by step. And you'll, you'll know if you're just kind of paying attention and you're seeking guidance, you'll know as when it's time to, to expand. But I would just encourage you to just start 
if you have if you're a person on the ground floor just start just do something on a small scale and um it'll get more familiar and you know watch things i mean there's lots of amazing resources on, on youtube we didn't have youtube back when we started when alan started he didn't have he, he read from books and things of this nature but anyway any more questions that anybody has yes yeah excellent question and i'm glad you you're paying attention <laughs> no the idea is that the question was, is that you can, you demonstrated that you were able to make more revenue on the same amount of land. So, you know, if, as you think about this whole gardening dynamic, um, <clears throat> you know, you only get so many, you only get so many chances each year, right? I mean, there's a season that, that you have to kind of grow by. So every season you're doing this, you're hoping you're getting a little better at it. And some seasons you make some pretty big steps. But I think understanding what our market, the people that we sell to, what they like, grow what your people will buy. Don't, don't try to get into the idea that you're going to try to educate people into a certain product or a certain type of veggie that they have no knowledge about. They don't know how to prepare it. They don't even know how to pronounce the name hardly. You know, like we used to grow one time, we grew that rutabaga, I told you about that. We also grew something called kohlrabi. Maybe some of you have heard of kohlrabi. But, you know, there's a handful of people who are interested in kohlrabi. Kohlrabi does not stand a chance against a good cucumber, right, or wonderful carrots or knockout tomatoes or beautiful heads of lettuce. I mean, think about what people are buying. And um, so focus on that. That's a, that's a biggie. Try to avoid getting caught up into the idea of some – exotic vegetable that you don't even know where you're going to sell it if you can grow it. Okay. Uh, if you want to do a little of that on the side, just for your own personal pleasure, go ahead, knock yourself out. Right. But don't think about that's where you're going to be. Um, that's where you're going to, you know, be met having your cash crops. So that's a biggie. The other is for us in Oklahoma, having more infrastructure in place that helps protect our plants and help them grow well is a biggie. So we've added a few more of our, these little hoop houses, these greenhouses type things where the plants don't get so beat, or beat up and battered. But also a big part, and Alan, you know, he's behind you there, you can ask him, he'll love to talk to you about it. He has been doing a tremendous amount of work on soil fertility. And you can do all these other things right, but if your soil is whacked out, your plants just won't thrive. And you know, we were just talking last week, a couple of weeks ago, when we were thinking about our seed order for this year, the idea of, wow, you know, Al and I are sitting there going like, you know, dad, he's going, this, this mark, this year was really a, quite a good year, but we were both sitting and looking at each other and we're going like, we could grow twice the amount of food in the same amount of space. It's possible. I mean, we, it's not like because of us, but just from the things we're learning as we're getting better. So the idea of opening up more land and having to cultivate and weed more land and all the, all put the irrigation in for more land. There's so many steps you have to take when you open up new beds. You got to amend them. You got to fertilize them. You got to weed them. You got to figure out how you're going to water it. You got to figure out how you're going to protect it. If you can grow your plants better with what you have, just protect those plants better make the soil in that area better, have more consistent irrigation there, 
better. Your plants are gonna, they're gonna love you for it and they'll produce so much better. And that's why you just don't wanna go bigger until you've got that figured out. When you get that figured out, you'll know when, it's, when you're ready, when you're ready to, to make the next step. Anyway, I hope that answered your question. Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say as you're starting this up, it's going to not be as balanced as probably you'd like it to be. There's a lot of work to getting something like this started. So I think you ought to at least consider yourself, be gracious with yourself as you work through this. But I will tell you this, um, why not have people come to your farm? People love to come to the farm. Not everybody, but there are people. There's a, there's a young man who just started coming to our church here <clears throat> um, maybe three months ago and uh, has had a bit of a rough life. And um, we've had him out to our farm probably a half a dozen times already. We'll have him out for lunch. He'll come out. He'll help us harvest carrots. He wants to. He wants to be there. And so the thing I love so much about market gardening is I think it has a really unique niche that there are people out there who want to be more involved in a farm, but they don't, they don't personally want to have the farm. Um, but the conversations you can have with people, um, now it may not mean that you're going over to fix their plumbing if, if the kitchen sink is leaking or something like that. Might be that that's what you're needing to do. But you can interact with people. Part of the whole market garden dynamic is <clears throat> you can have people come and participate and learn and share and experience through that dynamic. Um, unlike if you were an accountant probably sitting in an office somewhere. Uh, so I don't know what the type of ministry you're talking about, but if you're talking about being face-to-face -face or in person with people, you know, instead of going to them, why don't you ask them to come to you? Have lunch with them. Have them come in and help you sucker tomato plants. They love it. And um, it's a great way to, I mean, people talk. I mean, you're sitting there cultivating, you know, or picking green beans together. You have really meaningful conversations with people. I, I mean, even your own family, you have some of the best conversations Alan and I have are when we're out working on the farm together. So it's, I think in that aspect, it's a really great tool. Uh, I don't know if that <laughs> Okay, if there's no more questions, thank you everybody for coming. Oh, one more. Do we have one more here in the back? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, yeah, the question was, how do you determine what, you, what will you sell your produce for as far as the, the dollars and cents, uh, what you're selling like a pound of tomatoes for, or maybe a bunch of, you know, a head of, a head of lettuce or something of that nature. Uh, um, that's, that's tricky. Um, and I don't have an exact science to it other than um, we charge more than any local grocery store. Uh, I do know that. Um, and um, we try to be within reason. I, what I do personally, and I kind of, I'm over that aspect of the farm for us is, um, I, I will hop online and I will see what some of the things are going with. Because remember, different, uh, different veggies or fruits or whatever will sell differently depending on what time of year they're grown. So you may go to the store and pick up 
some type of uh, product, you know, with, with the whole idea of, of Mexico being such a large producer and these types of things, it kind of flattens that curve sometimes. But when things are in season, it's harder to get a better price for them than when, when then you're growing maybe outside of season a little bit. But honestly, what, the, way we, we, the way we go deal with pricing is that our pricing pretty much stays the same year round is what we do. And um, we just generally price it a little more than what they pay for in a store. Um, sometimes it's quite a bit more. And in other words, like our, our carrots, we get a much better price for carrots than, than, than you'd ever get in the store. Um, but when people taste our carrots, they want the carrots and they love the carrots. I mean, even wholesale, we're, we're wholesaling some carrots actually this week to a place up in Oklahoma City and they're giving us um, a really good price on them. Um, so I, I wish I could give you something a little clearer, but you know, if you haven't done this yet, I would just, I mean, if you're, are you growing produce already or are you just in the considering start stage? How did, I'm just curious to know, how did you decide to price it last year? Well, I mean, that's probably a good, a good rule of thumb. If you, you know, we're in an area that there aren't a lot of market gardeners. I mean, um, I know personally of, well, maybe one, maybe two other farms that were within a, that we personally know that are probably within a 60 mile radius of us. So, I mean, it's not like they're on every corner, things of this nature, but, um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do. You can hop on people's websites. A lot of people are doing online sales now. Um, and so you could go onto their website and you can check their pricing and just see what they're doing. And I think just try to be, try to be in the ballpark. Yeah, that's, uh, that's farming two oh. that's farming point 2.0. <laughs> that's a good good idea it's good thought so um but you know here again those numbers only work in out the way alan's using them if you're growing if you consistently can grow that crop and grow it well because nothing makes sense to grow if you're not growing it well nothing lettuce doesn't make sense tomatoes don't grate sense carrot no, nothing makes sense if, if you're getting 25 percent of what you probably should be getting off of that crop, it's, it's not going to work for you, at least fine financially. Well, it'd be like you trying to grow wheat on, you know, a half an acre of land and, and thinking you're going to be able to sustain yourself on a half an acre of wheat. I mean, it's such a small, it's such a commodity crop at such a cheap price. It wouldn't work. That's a, that's an extreme on one end, right? Um, and then you wouldn't have the equipment to harvest it effectively. I mean, it just wouldn't make sense to do it on a small scale. So you're looking at crops that are more of a high value crop that, um, that, that you can grow on a smaller scale with manual tools, things that, you know, you can, you can kind of keep your, get your mind around because uh, the market garden works. The concept works when you have a variety of things on a small scale and you can, like Alan talked about, when you're doing like arugula or something like that, you're successioning it. So you have multiple croppings of that within the same calendar year. Remember, you know how it's like, right? If any of you grew up having farms or gardens in your backyard, most of the time we never succession stuff, right? You'd go out, you'd plant a, a row of green beans maybe, or you'd plant a row of you know, radishes or carrots or whatever. And when they were done, they were done. And the, and the garden was done. 
I mean, that's, that's how most of us grew up if we had any type of garden at home. And so you got to be thinking in your head with this market garden concept is, you know, we have baby lettuce inside of our seed house at the same time that we have medium-sized heads out in the field, and then we have full-size heads that we're harvesting, right? So you have, a, when he talks about stacked, you're stacking it so that it's transitioning like that. So because if you wait until you harvest all your lettuce, and it's all grown, and you go, oh, you know what, maybe I need to see more lettuce. Well, then you just lost, you know, 60, 90 days of lettuce that you just won't have available for people. Uh, so you got to be thinking about, okay, this crop will be coming out at this time, then this next crop will be maturing at that time, the crop we're just now seeding and the seed house will be moving out into the field. You see, there's that, there's that, that cycle. Now, that's what those kind of crops that you rotate, you know, I mean, not rotate, but you succession. There's other crops that we grow, like we grow okra here in Oklahoma. Okra is a very popular crop. People love okra here. Um, we plant it one time, and it produces for about three and three and a half months, maybe four if we're lucky, and then it's done. So we don't succession okra. So there's some crops we don't succession, but most of our other crops we do succession. We may grow we may grow them three or four times, five times uh, within a, within a year. Hopefully that's helpful. But hey, you'll get this. The thing is, is that you just need to be patient with yourself and you need to just be, you know, <laughs> like the whole idea <laughs> of having a good therapist. There'll be times where you, you want to, I mean, hey, I mean, Alan and I have talked on numerous occasions over the last five or six years. It's like, I don't know if we, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm just being honest and transparent with you. Alan's come to me at, at, in the evening sometimes. Dad, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this. But um, what do you do when you get to that point? Because more than likely, you'll get there. You're probably not that unlike Alan and I in that way. And when you get there, what do you, where do you go? Where do you turn? Um, and that's why I think another aspect of multi-generational farming is so important is that you help each other. You can help support each other. Um, and... Um, because there's going to be times where, where things are like you put a lot of energy and effort into something and it totally failed. Um, but the nice thing about market gardening is you're diverse, right? You're not counting on this one crop for everything. You, if that fails, then you move in and you got, well, you know what? That failed. But look, the green beans are producing like better than we've ever seen. Or the broccolini looks fab fantastic. So you're kind of, you know, you're diversified. The market garden gives you a nice diversification. And um, I mean, it's, I think that's one of the beauty, the, one of the most beautiful things about market gardening, but it does take work and it takes planning. And uh, you know, it's like you're juggling stuff, like that juggling picture I showed you. It's, it's tricky. I'm not gonna kid you, it, it is tricky. It's by far the hardest thing I've ever done. And I, I didn't come from an agrarian background. I came from more of a business corporate background. But, but um, you know, our, our story about how we got involved in this is, you know, it's, it, it all happened kind of organically over time. Um, but uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. Um, and I think if you can get family support, I think, you, I think you'll, for the most part, I think you'll like the decision of moving forward in this direction. But I don't want to kid you. I mean, there, there, are, some, there are some challenging times. Um, 
But I, like the lady said in the back, I don't know if she's still there. I mean, isn't part of this whole experience for our own personal growth as well? We're not just really here just to grow veggies, are we? Is that really why we're doing this? That's not really why we're doing it, is it? You think that's all the counsel that we read tells us to do this just so we can grow veggies? You know, that's not really the full story, right? It's a package. It's a package that comes with it. And I think you have an opportunity to be involved in a remarkable experience that um, can give you a lot of blessings in many, many ways. And blessings oftentimes come with challenges. And um, I would just encourage you that if you've been praying about it and thinking about it, just review the five mistakes, those five mistakes, and just kind of think about it and lay them before the Lord and ask him, you know, where you go and how, where's your family at on this? I mean, there's a whole other story about how our family got to this point. It didn't happen overnight. And uh, probably, you know, it might happen, not happen for you overnight either. One last story, then I'll finish. This was at an Ad Agra conference back in Texas about five years ago. I had a guy come up to me and he said, uh, he is probably 35, 40 years old, maybe, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he goes, I really want to start a market garden. I really, I really think I'm going to be getting into agriculture. I'm really convinced about this. And I, I, I said, um, he goes, do you have any advice for me? And I said, well, um, are you married? And he goes, yeah. And I go, is your wife here? And he goes, no, she didn't want to come. What do you think I said next? I said, brother, you need to be very careful because you need your wife's support. So if you're going to decide to do something like this, go slow. Maybe the Lord will touch your wife's heart and she'll see the beauty of this and she'll, she'll maybe want to come with you. But if she's not ready right now, I'm not sure if it's the right time for you to do much other than maybe have a small garden in your backyard. I mean, it's a commitment, folks. I mean, it's a commitment and it's a lifestyle, it's a lifestyle shift that many people are not prepared for. Um, but it doesn't mean that they won't be. It's just maybe they're just not ready right now. And so I don't know. I don't know everyone who's in there, what your personal situation is at this moment in time, but it's just good to have a good pulse. You don't want to, you don't want to just forge ahead without your family there. Um, it could be really, <clears throat> could be really challenging, more challenging than I think it needs to be. So hopefully that's helpful. Y'all have a wonderful time there in California. I wish I was there. This is my first ad conference not to be at, what, what is this, number, year number eight or nine or something? Yeah, so I miss being there. I'd be happy to, let's pray. Lord, we once again are um, thankful just for counsel and guidance and instruction, for giving us minds, the space that occupies the space between our two ears, um, giving us the ability to think. Um, it's really quite remarkable when you think about it. I just pray for each individual who's here today and just, you know, Lord, you know their situation, certainly uh, far, far better than I do, but just help them, Lord, to know what the right step is to take at this time. And whether market gardening, a bigger, a bigger aspect of market gardening is, is something that's in their future. 
um, with all the different dynamics and family <clears throat> chemistry that is all part of this as well. So we just most importantly ask for your leading and for your guidance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.